This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Tonight what I want to preach is something that um, pastor asked me to preach. He, he asked me to do this preaching, but he asked me before we left. And immediately I knew what I wanted to preach, assuming that I got back in. And truth be told, tonight, I need this sermon uh, a lot because I need a reminder already. But I want this to be an encouragement to you tonight, and I believe that as soon as you hear the first words of this psalm, you will know exactly why we've gone here. If you turn with me to Psalm 124. Psalm 124. This is a psalm of David, and David sings this. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters had overwhelmed us, the stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Dear great God, we come before you. You are the maker of heaven and earth. You are the covenant God, Yahweh, the I am, the Holy One. And Father, I come to you this evening. I do not know what the people here are dealing with, but I do know there are people dealing with difficult matters. And so tonight as we open up the word, I have no authority in and of myself to do this. But Father, you can fill me. You can take this vessel and pour out your spirit. Take the word of God, magnify it, open our hearts, encourage the brokenhearted, save the lost. And Father, I pray that this, not because of my words, but because of your message, God, that you would take this church and light it afire to see greater things done for your name and for your glory. I ask these things in the mighty name of our King, amazingly our brother, our Savior, and our God, Jesus. Amen. In the year 1582, this psalm was sung on a remarkable occasion in Edinburgh, Scotland. An imprisoned minister named John Dury had been set free. Now, I... I've served a suspended sentence, but I've never been in the prison outside of prison ministry, but I can kind of get where he's coming from. John Dury had been set free, and he was met and welcomed on entering the town by 200 of his friends. The number increased until he found himself in the midst of a company of 2,000 who began to sing this psalm as they marched down the long road, high street. Now may Israel say, 
etc. They sang in four parts with deep solemnity, all joining in in the well-known tune and psalm, which I wish there was a well-known tune to this at this moment because I like this song. They were much moved themselves, and so they were all, uh, and so were all who heard. And one of the chief persecutors is said to have been moved more to alarm at this sight and song than at anything he had ever seen in Scotland. This psalm is a declaration of the power of our God. It is a declaration that no matter what men or circumstances may bring against a child of God, our God is greater and more marvelous and more powerful than anything that can come. And so this evening, by way of introduction as well, there's an important aspect of this psalm that we need to understand. Psalm 124 is, if you look at the top, your Bible will say probably one of two things. It will either say a psalm or a song of decree, or excuse me, degree, or it will say a psalm of ascent. Now, in the book of Psalms, there's a bunch of many booklets. And so the booklet called the Psalms of Ascent is very small. There's only 15 of these Psalms of Ascent. And the working theory, what, what, we, what we understand about the Psalms of Ascent, five of them were written by David, one of them was written by Solomon, and the rest of them were written by unknown authors. Now, because David and Solomon, obviously, they lived before the Babylonian captivity and exile, but the, the understanding, what scholars believe, this small booklet of psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, was compiled and put together during or right after the Babylonian captivity. And the reason that they put together this little pamphlet of psalms was so that as they ascended to Jerusalem, they were able to sing these psalms and remind themselves of different aspects of God. And so throughout the Psalms of Ascent, what you have in Psalm 120 through 134, what you have are these psalms that pilgrims would have sung as they were going up to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, we, we have cars and it's real easy, right? Jerusalem, depending on where you're coming from, could be upwards of a 3,000 foot ascent. So it was no easy climb to get up. They would have been able, you know, like listening to Patch the Pirate over and over and over and over on the car ride. They would have been able to sing these psalms probably multiple times. And the idea is that they, these psalms reflect the journey, the upward, difficult at times, journey of life, but the journey towards a holy place. Now, friends, you and I have a holy place that we are journeying towards. There is coming a day when the new Jerusalem will descend from heaven and it will come to earth and it will be adorned as a bride for her husband and we will go up to new Jerusalem and worship our God. And so this evening, I want us to look at Psalm 124 for what it is. It is a psalm as we trek upwards to New Jerusalem. 
It is a psalm that reminds us that though difficulty and pain and obstacles will come, we serve a God that is a covenant God and he is the maker of all things. And so I want us to remember tonight, if you walk away with one thought, may it be this, if our help is in the name of the Lord, we can confidently face all circumstances in life. The first thing that we understand, what's really important, is if God is not on our side. Listen to the way he says this. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. So let's take a moment and figure out what does it mean to be on God's side, or really more or less for God to be on our side. The idea, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I had to dig, and there's not a ton of information because these are some small prepositions. But basically, a very straightforward translation, and, and uh, really around 1580s with John Dury, is when it, from what I understand, when it really began to be translated as on our side. But really, a very straightforward translation is for us. If the Lord had not been for us. And so... Um, Martin Luther has something very interesting to say about this, about the repetition. I know we know Hebrew poetry, it repeats itself a lot, but this is very emphatic. If it had not been the Lord who was for us, now might Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was for us. Martin Luther says this, this repetition is not in vain. For whilst, and this is very true, I, I, this Knife to the heart. For whilst we are in danger, our fear is without measure. But when it is once past, we imagine it to have been less than it was indeed. And this is the delusion of Satan to diminish and obscure the grace of God. To make it seem as if what we went through really wasn't that bad. God's grace, we didn't need it that much. No, we forget how bad it was. David, therefore, with this repetition, stirreth up the people to more thankfulness unto God for his gracious deliverance and amplifies the dangers which they had passed, whereby we are taught how to think of our troubles and afflictions past, lest the sense and feeling of God's grace vanish out of our minds. I cannot forget, it will be a wrong for me to forget how bad, how for six Years, Sarah and I sat with the idea that any day they could come and boot us. Or when we got here, there is no way we could get back in. I cannot, it would be wrong of me to diminish that because that would be to diminish the grace of God. And for you, many of you, we've walked together for my lifetime, and I know many of you have been through difficult trials and circumstances and obstacles, and how easy it is for us to get out of that and to say, oh, it wasn't that bad. When in reality, when we were in that moment, it was as bad as it could be. And so what would have happened? We need to go back and ask ourselves, what would happen if God had not been for us? If God had not been for us when men rose against us? This is pointing to problems with people. This is pointing to difficulties arising out of situations with people. Now what's really interesting, this word here, uh, it says, 
When men rose up against us, this word for rose up, very common. If I were to speak about it in Hebrew and I were to rise up from my chair, it would be the same idea. But what's very interesting, the very first time that this word is used, this word for rise up, is all the way back in Genesis 4-8 when Cain rose up against Abel. And from the beginning of time, as soon as the fall happened, evil has always risen up against righteousness. There has always been an element of evil, of Satan, of, of ungodliness that would seek to rise up and cause trouble for those that would serve Almighty God. What would have happened then if God was not for us when, not if they rose up, but when they rose up, what would have happened to us? Well, first of all, we would have been swallowed alive. Then they had swallowed us up quick. Now, I always, you know, I knew the word quick means alive. The word, is, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper. But I didn't ever read it that way. I always wondered why. It's not quickly. This word simply means alive. Then they had swallowed us up alive. This word for swallow, it has the idea of to consume, to greedily gulp down. There are people, there are people in this world that are ready to greedily gulp down. They are ready to greedily attack anybody that would seek to serve God in any capacity. And it is not us who is able to rise up against them. It is them who have risen up against us. And we cannot say, well, we'll just stand our ground. Rather, we must say, what would happen if God were not for us? We would be swallowed alive. And this also reminds us then, 1 Peter 5, 8, For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. From the Old Testament to the New, all the way to this very present age, we understand nothing has changed. Evil continues to rise against us. And not just evil in general, but evil people. Whether that is a corrupt boss, whether that is a wicked family member, or some difficult co-worker, whether that is a corrupt government agent, whatever the case may be, evil people will continue to arise. And if it were not for God, they would swallow us up quickly and alive. This also seems to remind me, what, when you look at it in the Old Testament context, right? before Satan was compared to a lion, what was Satan in in bodily form? A snake. What's one of the only man animals that consumes its prey alive, whole? A snake. Satan will use anybody and everybody to swallow us up alive. What would have happened if God had not been for us when men rose up against us? Then their wrath would have won. Psalm 2, one of the to me, one of my favorite, one of the greatest psalms. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, come, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. The heathen 
are always angry. Their wrath is always against the things of God and the people of God. It doesn't matter if it's even specifically because you are a Christian. Now look, I'm not pointing everything back on me, but this, this psalm was near and dear to my heart. We were not being persecuted because we were Christians. But Satan was taking the occasion to use this against us. And what happened? He, he came against their wrath, their unjust wrath. He tried to put it in case you didn't know. I almost went to prison for 20 years. That was a very scary moment. Their unjust wrath comes against the people of God, whether they know it is for that reason or not. Psalm 46 brings out the rage of people. It says, the heathen rage, and they rage so much that the earth shook. Now, by contrast, and we'll get to this later, but by contrast, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. There's a difference in power. But their wrath would have won. What would have happened had God not been for us when men rose up against us? First of all, they would have swallowed us up alive. And second of all, their wrath would have won. But then, what would have happened if God had not been for us when the water seeks to flood us? Then, uh, in, in verse 4, the waters had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. I believe here, uh, I'm not trying to symbolize, but if I'm looking at this as poetry and I'm trying to understand what's happening, you have men and then you have circumstances. You have the waters that are the circumstances that happen, but Satan uses anything and everything to come against believers, to come against those, not just believers. There's many believers that live an easy life because they're not dangerous to the enemy. But any believer that would seek to follow after God with a whole heart, mark this, the enemy has marked him. But what happens if God is not for us when the water seeks to flood our souls? Well, we have to look at this water. Again, we're in the Old Testament here. We're dealing with different, we're dealing with a very, um, uh, people that imagine things that have, that have this deep, um, what's the, like, pictorial imagination, right? Everything was within uh, these ideas of stories and things. So I think there's a possibility of, of, of different ideas coming here. First of all, we look back at creation, right? And God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, right? So there, and, and, and so in that Genesis account, really we have this idea of this watery, chaotic abyss. What would have happened if chaos, if watery chaos had come and tried to flood against us? Then we also look, and we look at the waters of the Exodus. What had happened had we been stuck between men and circumstances? We also look then, they're living in, in, in desert Israel in parts. David had wandered all around. He had seen his fair share of wadis, right? These very dry riverbeds. What happens when the seasonal rains flood, come? They immediately begin to flood out. And it's this chaotic, watery situation. So why water is a picture? Because all of this water, the raging waters of the chaotic world, the raging waters of the Red Sea, the raging waters of the wadis that are flooded out, all of these are uncontrollable. There's no stopping them. 
And folks, there's no stopping life circumstances. So oftentimes we go, God, why are you letting this happen? And simply, it's because we live in a chaotic world. God is not out to get us. God is not out to make sure that uh, we really suffer really well for a while. No, God is out to grow us closer to him. And sometimes the chaos of the world is exactly what he uses for his glory. We would have been overwhelmed. Psalm 69 reflects on overwhelming waters. We won't go there for sake of time. Our soul would have been drowned. I love that he uses this word soul. The waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream, or this word for stream is the torrent, right? Not a cute, peaceful-looking, babbling brook, but a torrent would have gone over our nefesh, the deepest part of who we are. It would have gone over our soul and the proud waters, right? This word proud has the idea of raging, insolent waters. That which is, is stubbornly opposing God's will, they would have come over and completely destroyed us. But the good news is, is that God is on our side. If God were not on our side when men rose up against us, then we would have been swallowed up alive and their wrath would have won. That, that's for the men. And then what happens with circumstances if God were not for us, then we would have been completely overwhelmed amid all of life's circumstances. We would have stood no chance, no matter how resilient we are, no matter how, how tough we believe that we can be, we would have been broken against the waves of life. But God is for us. When God is on our side, then first of all, we are not prey. Blessed be the Lord who hath given us, who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. We are not prey. In fact, rather, though we are helpless apart from him in Christ, and this is just a sampling, in Christ, he has taught our hands to war and our fingers to fight, according to Psalm 144.1. Later on, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.4 that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, right? We're not, we're not going out and duking it out, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, God has made us to fight and to win because that is who he is. We are not pray. He's made us, according to Romans 8.37, he has made us more than conquerors. We're not little birdies sitting in a cage hoping that we get free, but rather God has broken the trap. He has set us free. He's not allowed us to be prey in the teeth of the lion when we have sought to serve him. And then he's given us victory over our enemy. I love Romans 16.20. and says that God will shortly bruise the head of Satan under your feet. The head of Satan is crushed. And God uses us, thank him, to do it. And ultimately he will stand victorious above the serpent. Not only we are not prey, but our souls are not captive when God is on our side. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we are escaped. 
I don't know about you, but spiritual battles are so often represented or enhanced by physical difficulties. If you deal with physical pain, physical difficulty, then I completely understand if the spiritual battles you face uh, coincide with that. If you are dealing with a wayward child in one way or another, then I understand that there are spiritual battles that go along with that. Satan knows exactly where to pick his target. And yet our souls, when God is on our side, our souls are not held captive to the enemy. Our souls are freed. And a man that is free in his soul is free indeed. Christ has broken the snare. Now, first of all, you might be snared within sin. And the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. All of our works are as filthy rags. There's nothing that we can do from the inside of the cage to break our way out and to free ourselves from eternal damnation. There's not one thing that you and I can do about it. But Christ became man so that he could die on the cross and break the snare once and for all. So that when you and I, by faith, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Thank God it's not by works of righteousness which we have done because we can't do enough, but it's according to his mercy he saves us. And so first of all, my friend, if you have not been freed from the snare of eternal damnation and sin, Christ is longing to rip the cage open and to free you. But if you have already been freed, then there is nothing, nothing that has the authority to put you back into a cage and separate you from the love of Christ. It doesn't matter what comes against you. It doesn't matter how depressing your circumstances. It doesn't matter if they come to deport you three times. It doesn't matter if you're going to sit in jail. It doesn't matter if your family is against you. My family is not against us. But it doesn't matter if your family is against you. It doesn't matter your circumstances. You are free in Christ. And he's freed us from our enemies. And so... Finally, number three, we see then the God that is on our side. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker who made heaven and earth. First of all, he is Lord. This is obviously, and you know you've heard this so many times, all the capital letters, this is the word for Yahweh. This is in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses is facing men and circumstances, and he says, who do I tell them that sent me? God says, I am that I am. He uses this very word, Yahweh. He uses that to say, I'm the God that defeats the men. I'm the God that defeats the circumstances. I'm the God that defeats the illnesses. I'm the God that defeats all of these lesser things. I am that I am. Who is the God that is on our side? It is the God that delivered Israel from Egypt. It is the God that delivered 
them out of captivity and, uh, and, and sin over and over and over and over again. It is the God that delivered Joseph from the pit. It is the God that delivered uh, um, all of the ones that we think of, Daniel from the lion's den, it delivered all of the prophets. Uh, God did these things. He's the God that is on our side. Not only that, he's the God that made it all. This often, psalm, the Psalms often go back to creation. You know, for us, we look around and we're inundated so much by technology and these things we forget. It was so good to look at the stars when I was back in Chuk. You can see from a certain spot in my area, you can see the Southern Cross. God made that. The God that spoke galaxies into existence the God that created the human eyeball, the God that created sycamore trees, and the God that created the vast oceans, and the God that created creatures that you and I will never see, the God that created Leviathan and said, oh, I tamed him. That God is the God that is on our side. And so, yes, there are times where we look about and we go, why do we feel as if we have been defeated? Why does this sickness continue to rage? Why do my circumstances not seem to get better? But that's not the question we ought to ask. We ought to be asking, is the Lord on my side? And if he is, who is he? And when we remember who he is, we remember all the victory that we need. And so, in conclusion, I believe then, I truly believe that Paul echoes this thought in Romans 8.31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, then who can be against us? Certainly not the government of Chuk. Certainly not the circumstances in your life. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There can be no other escape route. We either trust in confidence, and we completely place our confidence in him, or none of it is in him. It isn't a matter of wishful thinkings or what ifs, but rather it is a matter of confidence in the goodness of God. And I believe, church, that if we want to see God do the things that this psalm talks about, we must be a people of faith and prayer. First, we understand this psalm to be a declaration of God's power. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God that was for Israel is now the God that is for us. And we can pray in confidence that he will deliver. But I have very good news for you as we close. I close with Revelation chapter 21. I told you in the beginning that this is a psalm of ascent as they would head up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord their God. John says this in Revelation 21, verse 2. 
And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son and so I close with this thought you and I are heading to Jerusalem and maybe the circumstances are difficult maybe there are people seeking to bar our way maybe life does not seem to get any easier but as we sing the psalms of ascent we remember the fact that there is a day coming when New Jerusalem comes down and all will be set right. And in that moment, though we do not understand it now, it will all be made right in Christ. And so whether your circumstances are fixed now or whether Christ has you waiting until that precious day, remember, we are all on the way to Jerusalem in him. Peace is here and peace is coming. Christ has healed and Christ will heal. And in him we can say our help is in the name right now of the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 488 3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.